Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Miles Chadwick. Miles joined Emancipet as the Director of Clinic Operations and Training in January of 2013. Emancipet's commitment to creating social change and its high standard of care drove his decision to join this amazing team of animal advocates. Miles assists Emancipet clinics in meeting stringent quality standards, advancing the mission, and upholding the core values of the organization. As vice president of Emancipet New School, he oversees and delivers leadership and program development training to animal welfare professionals interested in increasing their own impact and creating social change within their communities. Prior to working with Emancipet, Miles spent four years with the ASPCA as operations manager for the National Spay-Neuter Project and client services manager at Berg Memorial Animal Hospital. Before joining the animal welfare movement in 2007, Miles spent 15 years working in restaurants and still enjoys whipping up vegan treats at the end of most days. Miles, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, well, we'll have to have a find out what your favorite vegan treats are uh, as we talk through the show. I'm sure there are <laughs> lots of people who would be interested in having finding out your favorite recipes. Yeah, um, there's a little click within animal welfare of the vegans who all want to talk about vegan food all the time. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter became a vegan a couple of years ago, and so she's she and her cooking has just changed dramatically for the better. I would say. I mean, she's just always cooking recipes and and all that kind of stuff. So it's great great to see. So, Miles, how did you get started, especially with a focus on community cats? But feel free to share about how you got started in animal welfare if you'd like to share that too. It actually coincidentally ties into when I became vegan. I had been working in restaurants from the age of about 13. My mom was a chef. And so after many, many years of doing that and thinking that that was my path in life, I had a crisis of conscience um, when I became vegan. And I suddenly felt like I wasn't really going to be able to do what I wanted to do in the restaurant industry anymore. And I started looking for new work. And after a few different things, I ended up trying, I ended up getting a job at the ASPCA as the assistant manager of client services at Berg Memorial Animal Hospital on the Upper East Side. I did not know anything about animal welfare. I didn't really know anything about community cats or feral cats. But there was a TNR clinic that happened once a month. Another department would borrow our hospital for a day on a Sunday, and they would do anywhere from 100 to 150 spay-neuters on trapped cats. And so I started volunteering for that program, and I became really fascinated with all of it. The cats, the production was very similar to sort of line production at a restaurant that I was really used to. There was all these different pieces of it that I found to be fascinating. And as a volunteer, at the time, it was all mostly volunteer run with just a few paid staff, and everybody did a tremendous job. But there, I think there I think that there was more to be done. And so after doing that for a while, I ended up transitioning to the spay and neuter department and taking over those clinics. And I was able to roll out even more policies to help 
keep the clinics really safe and help the volunteers stay really safe. And that was kind of how it all started. So we're going to take a deep dive into the work that you've been doing with Emancipet, but just I met you when you were at the ASPCA and when you were involved in that project, that was when they really started going with their mobile clinics and and offering free spay neuter for feral cats on those clinics. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, I don't know what's happening now, but at that time we had TNR only clinics um, in several locations around New York City, around the five boroughs, and then we we had that what we called it our spay day once a month, and we increased that to twice a month eventually where we would do 100 to 150 cats, and it was all free as long as you were registered with the ASPCA. And I'm, I'm sure that those programs are still going in some form. So it sounds like you got really thrown right into sort of the the hotbed of spay-neuter. Was that where you discovered that spay-neuter is really at the heart of being able to help uh, impact change in communities? One of the things that I talk a lot about in the trainings that I do now is sort of the beliefs that we hold in animal welfare. And when I started working in animal welfare, some of the beliefs that were handed to me by veterans of the industry were really, really valuable and I've carried with me through today. And some of them were a little bit less helpful. The belief that pet overpopulation is the response is is the result of irresponsible pet owners and I definitely working with TNR programs specifically and low cost and free spay neuter. What I've really learned is that most people really want spay neuter or don't know what it is and are very open to it. And so the work that low cost clinics are doing everywhere all around the country, just in providing a low cost resource to people in the community. And then those clinics that have outreach programs that are going and offering those services to clinics that are talking to people who weren't already seeking the services, those clinics are having a real impact on the number of stray cats and community cats that are on the street. But I was definitely thrown right in when I started out, and it took me probably about two, three years to really get my head around what the underlying truths were in this field and how we could be the most impactful and most helpful to the animals that need us. So it sounds like you are thinking more about barriers to entry rather than irresponsible behavior. Absolutely. I I think that the irresponsible behavior line is a little bit of a cop out. I think what I've seen is most most people are taking care of their pets to the standard of their community. And most people that haven't sought out spay neuter or veterinary care, it's because they haven't really had a resource in their community or they haven't been aware of the resources that are there for them. They're taking care of their pets the same way their parents did, the same way that their their neighbors do. And there's very few people out there that are just intentionally avoiding veterinary care and avoiding spay-neuter by making the resources affordable and accessible and going out there and being really proactive and non-judgmental with people. I've seen really great results with getting people's animals spayed and neutered and getting cats spayed and neutered and getting cats, you know, maybe indoors (laughs) Mm -hmm. because that's something that I still see a lot in Texas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a challenge. Uh, You talk about education. There's a lot more education. I I think that back in the middle 2000s, late 2000s, when I was starting our mobile spay-neuter clinic at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, it was sort of like I had the mentality of, you build it and they will come. And now I feel that's not the whole package. There's a lot of education that needs to go along with it. And I don't mean education like you need to do this, but education of making sure that the information is always available. So 
actually making sure that the local policeman or the fire department or the local food bank, like your libraries, like that all the social services have knowledge and information about accessible, low cost or free spay neuter programs so that then the like whole societal community structure sort of got this sort of standard piece of information that's just a given that's able to be shared with others. Is that some of the stuff that, that you're covering in the new school or tell me about the new school and, and what what's going on there? Absolutely. And I mean, I, and, I, and I will, and just to go back to what you just said, I, I totally agree with you. I think that one of the things that we talk about a lot is just the word educate and trying to like maybe use the word sharing, you know, the wording of sharing information and the idea that information goes two ways. And then in order to reach people that haven't really been messaged before, we have to do a lot of listening, not just a lot of telling. So I really like what you said. At Emancipate New School, it's, it's a place for social change and change makers inside of animal welfare to really research and think and learn more about how to reach pet owners that uh, haven't, haven't been reached before. And I think that much like you, I started in the late 2000s in animal welfare. And I think that what we've seen with especially specifically spay-neuter rates is that with owned animals, so we're not talking about community cats so much, but with owned animals, spay-neuter rates have increased by about 80% over the last 40 years. As a field and as a social change movement, we've actually been really, really effective. We've created social change. Most people spay and neuter their pets now. But there are there's this remaining 10 to 20%, depending on whether or not you're talking about cats or dogs, that hasn't experience that social change. And those, and that typically exists inside communities that are making less than $35,000 a year uh, for the whole household income. And in fact, as the farther you go in income, the farther down you go in income, the less likely people are to have their animals spayed or neutered. So a lot of what we do at Emancipat New School is not necessarily just focused on spay and neuter, but focused on how do we get services to people that we have overlooked? How do we how do we create social change inside communities that we've completely left behind as a movement? Finally, there is an alternative to flea and tick treatments that doesn't involve topical treatments, popping pills, and smelly collars. Best of all, this option lasts for up to two years. Cat and Dogs is a revolutionary biotech flea and tick repellent that keeps your pets free of parasites without the need for potentially harmful pesticides or other chemical, powder, or oral treatments, which can cause pet and human sickness or discomfort. Cat and Dogs is a unique electromagnetically charged disc that is simply attached to your pet's collar and generates a bioresonant field that repels not only fleas and ticks, but all flying parasites. It is completely safe, non-toxic, and has no side effects. It's eco-friendly and economic. The cost is just under $65 per tag. Remember, this lasts two years. For more information, check out catanddogs.us. That's C-A-T-A-N-D-O-G-S dot U-S and get your cat and dogs tag today. Are you swamped with miscellaneous papers and notebooks with details about the cats in your colonies? It's hard to keep track of all the details. Do you get a headache whenever your TNR coordinator asks you for paperwork that they need for their program? CatStats is the ultimate TNR program management tool that will reduce your stress. Set up your own online cat colony database and track colonies and caretakers in your service area. Mapping and automated requests for help are also featured. Designed by Neighborhood Cats, CatStats is available at no cost to animal welfare organizations. 
CatStats has an easy-to-use interface, and all of the information is protected and private. We want to help you spend less time on paperwork and more time helping cats. Check out this free tool at catstats.org. C-A-T-S-T-A-T-S dot O-R-G. Brought to you by Neighborhood Cats. I just wanted to ask you, and this is sort of my my dream world, is you're, you're mentioning these sort of benchmark ways of identifying sort of at-risk communities that may not be achieving what I used to always reference sterilization rates. I was always looking for like the ideal sterilization rate in a community so that then we would know that if this happened, then this would happen. So you're using a target of median income of 35K a year. In my dream world, there'd be like a map and we would block out all these communities and actually do a strategic plan to be able to attack the entire United States. Is that some of the like big thinking that you have going on? So in Emancipate proper, which is Emancipate New School is our training arm and our sort of, you know, it's how we interact with the rest of animal welfare. Um, and that's what I do. But in, in the in the larger Emancipate clinic structure, that is kind of what you described as what we're doing. We're obviously, we're starting to get better name recognition. People are starting to know who we are, but we're still a bootstrap organization. We're figuring out funding for each and every clinic that we open as we're able to. Right now we have clinics throughout central Texas and we're opening in Philadelphia in February as our soft open. As we go into each new community that we've selected and a bunch of different things go into that selection process, what we're looking at is locating our clinics, usually in an area where the median income is around 35,000. Um, and hopefully we're adjacent to an area where it's much lower. Um, and we might be adjacent to an, area, to an area where it's in that range of sort of 35 to 40,000 for a whole household. The reason for that is we want to be able to have clients that can afford our low cost services because those fee, that fee for service helps to subsidize the rest of the work that we do. It helps to keep us afloat. And then the, for the, in the areas that we're really close to that are even lower income, that's where we would have our outreach programs. And we will look at sort of income and depending on the community, we might look at shelter rates and uh, intake rates and all of that stuff. That's That data can be misleading depending on where you are. And, and we'll design our outreach programs around the needs in that community. If you look at the entire United States, there are obviously there's a massive need for clinics uh, all over the place. And there's right. some states that Humane Alliance has been incredibly successful with getting more clinics open. Other programs have gotten their own clinics open on their own. But there's just still so much work left to do. And I think the next stage for animal welfare, and, and this is starting to happen, and really Emancipat New School is about fueling the flames of this, is shelters and spay-neuter clinics and animal advocacy groups getting out of their buildings and going out into the communities and, and interacting with people as opposed to waiting for the animals to come to them, waiting for the clients to bring their animals for spay-neuter, waiting for the animals to show up at the shelter. It's how do we keep the animals in homes in the first place? How do we address spay-neuter before it becomes an issue? How do we get these animals with get uh, vaccines before they become sick and get uh, relinquished to the shelter? And so a lot of the work of Advancement School at New School is working with uh, animal welfare professionals to develop their own skill set around social change, the science of social change and communication skills for working effectively in the field and for working effectively within animal welfare. I think that's fantastic. One of the benefits that we had with a mobile clinic was at least we were driving into communities. We were at least in a parking lot in a community and meeting at least animal control officer in that community and, and maybe various others. 
but by having a stationary shelter or a, a stationary clinic, and then also the a shelter, I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of, well, we're just so busy reacting or in the past, we've been so busy reacting to all the flow of animals coming into us that we just can't think about what's going on outside. And then as your intake numbers do go down in the shelters, you have to think more about the outreach, how you're getting out into the community and, and what services do you need to change and adjust. There's a lot of pivoting, I guess, that's going to need to go on in animal welfare over the next 10 years. I look back in the past, I think of the last decade as being the decade of spay neuter. But now I'm looking at the next 10 years and, and maybe it is like a pivoting decade or I don't know how we want to name it in, in animal welfare. I don't know what you see happening down the road over the next 10 years for clinics as well as for shelters and community cats. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that there's been a lot of programs that have been doing great work that are starting to come, you know, I'll, I'll base my prediction and my forecast on <laughs> sort of the, what people are coming to us and asking for. And we do two-day workshops on a variety of different things that among the other services that we offer. That's one of the most popular ways that people interact with us. This year, we did a program be called Beyond Spay Neuter. And that program was two days for high volume spay neuter clinics and shelters that wanted to start offering more full service wellness services at a low cost. So I think that that is on the horizon. I think that moving away from income qualification for low cost spay neuter is something that is on the horizon. I'm seeing less and less clinics income qualifying and really focusing on geographic, uh, you know, targeting. But like you said, having mobile clinics that go into the communities that need so that you really know that the people coming to your clinic are in need. I think that the, the next 10 years is going to see more expensive surgeries getting done in spay and neuter. It's going to see more expensive care being provided to communities at least as far as the expense to the organization, because we're going to start really reaching out to people that we haven't been we haven't been reaching yet, right? We've had this great success with with creating social change in sort of middle income homes, but when it comes to truly impoverished or very low income, um, and and honestly, even increasingly in some middle income homes, it, the the cost of, of of basic vet care is just out of reach. And so I think that that's really going to be the 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 big change in the next few years is is moving from a, a model of serving people that are seeking us to seeking the people who are not looking for what we have to offer. And we've heard this terminology starting out now called community medicine mm -hmm. um, or community veterinary medicine. So rather mm -hmm. than tagging ourselves as a spay neuter clinic, we are going to be a community you know, medicine, community veterinary clinic or community medicine clinic or something in that, Absolutely. In that frame. If we've done our job really well with the spay neuter clinics and in, in many target areas, we're going to start dealing with old age issues for these cats. So once they start needing to have dentals and they start getting thyroid issues or kidney issues, they're going to need assistance. And, um, right. and I do think that we're going to have a cat boomer generation or whatever that's going to start aging. And with that, we have to provide uh, services to help support that community. Agreed. One of the things that we've seen in Texas that's been remarkable is that in the communities that we've been going strong for a while now, we have clients who have dogs and cats that have lived on the street that they, because of the, because in Texas, the climate is mild and hot in the summer and mild in the winter, people just let their animals roam free when they're at work. And especially when we're talking about people that are working 60, 80 hours a week, they don't leave them in the house. 
And oftentimes they don't let them in the house very much at all because there are rampant uh, flea issues Mm -hmm. and they don't want to expose their families to that. So what we're starting to see now with families that have been coming to us every month for their heartworm medication, coming to us every month for flea and tick for their cats, is that those cats are moving indoors, those dogs are moving indoors, and more and more frequently we're seeing animals that are getting to old age. And it's the first time these families have had old animals. And it's really it's kind of amazing. Uh, and we've, you know, I, I have a ton of stories of clients telling us, I've never, this is the first pet I've ever had to get gray, which is really, really touching and, and amazing. And, and I, I absolutely agree. It's, it's not just about sort of getting people spayed and neutered and getting this, you know, basic vet care out there for the first time. It's also about being an ongoing resource to these communities that are not going to stop being impoverished tomorrow. So wait, we're coming close on time. I want to make sure that we have covered everything that you wanted to share with our listeners about the new school. And I love the name. I just have to say, I think it's great. And I love the fact that you are looking at social change. And I also think that's great. I'm a big outside of the box kind of person. So I really enjoyed that. So if people are interested in the school or interested in finding out more about the program? And is there anything that, that we've forgotten to sort of cover about how the school works? Yeah, I think if people are interested in learning more, the easiest way is just to go to emancipet.org backslash new school, or just go to the landing page and you'll see at the top, there's a tab for new school. We're in the process of rolling out a bunch of new changes. The Emancipet New School brand is new. We're going to be adding more and more stuff to that section of the website over the next six months. If people want to stay in touch and learn about what's coming up that we're offering, they can sign up for our Emancipet New School newsletter through our website. Beyond that, the, we have our seminar series. It's All of the descriptions are on there. We talk about a variety of things. Everything that we do is focused on creating social change, helping, helping organizations learn how to create social change, and effect, creating, creating social change within animal welfare. So yeah, I, I would encourage people to check it out there. If they have questions, they can, there's a button right there that they can email and it'll go to me and we can talk about what they want to do and how we can help them do it. We do customized consulting, we do private trainings, and we do a variety of other things. And is there anything, lastly, that you'd like to share with our listeners? No, I mean, if this is going up uh, in the end of January, we have a free workshop on February 3rd in Philadelphia called How to Have the Talk, How to Reach Clients Who Are Not Seeking You. It's about spay-neuter outreach specifically, and if people are interested in that, they should definitely check out our website. Beyond that, no, I've had a great time. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, Miles, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. As you can get a sense, I just love this topic because I love thinking through things. So it's very exciting. It's always a pleasure to, to chat with you. So thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope we'll have you on in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 